Welcome to Simple Self-Care by Naturally Randy K, a podcast about creating healing practices that align with the natural rhythms of the season and your own inner wisdom. I created this podcast to show you that self-care is more than just a buzzword and a good intention. It's a way of being that can fit into your everyday life naturally, intentionally, and simply. Hello, everyone, and happy November. We are here in November, (laughs) and we are really getting into it now with Halloween over and daylight savings time, a thing for a lot of us. It's really starting to feel like a new season, and there's even a gentle little snowfall happening here in Fargo as I record this, and I'm enjoying it actually, as much as I can before it becomes overbearing (laughs) at the end of winter. But it's feeling very cozy. There's definitely a shift. I don't know if you're feeling it, but we're feeling it up here. (laughs) And because of that, I'm always excited to bring you a podcast episode because I feel like, and it is geared towards this being a resource for you for when we're going through those shifts. And today I'm very excited to be bringing you a conversation with Sarah Von Bargen from yesandyes.org. Sarah is a teacher and a coach, and I would say a cheerleader for living a life full of joy and intention. And she's got this great blog and online courses and private coaching sessions. And she educates people on money and happiness and changing your habits and traveling and so many different great things. Basically just living a full rich life and not having to like keep up with the Joneses or doing it in an extreme way. It's just such a very doable, joyful way of life. You'll know what I mean after you listen to our conversation. But I am a graduate of her popular course, Bank Boost, which I highly recommend. And there is an affiliate link to it in the show notes. And check it out. She launches another round of it on Thursday, November 7th. And I'll talk more about that in the outro after our conversation. But seriously, it's so good. It'll change your relationship with money and it's awesome. And I've also done some one-on-one coaching with her, which I also highly recommend. But aside from that, she is just a great gal and we share a lot of the same values and teachings and friends. So I know you will enjoy getting to know her and hearing her wisdom in this conversation. But before we get to that, I want to share with you that she has a free guide that's called how to stop buying shit you don't need. (laughs) Yeah, great title. And we could all use that. So you can get the direct link to that as a Patreon member. It'll be posted right on the newsfeed. And in case you are new here, this podcast is listener supported, meaning that I'm trying to produce this podcast without any sponsorships. So I've created some other ways to give you more support and content while covering 
my bases of the time and costs of making this show happen. And Patreon is a lovely way to do that. So for as little as $2, you can get all of the bonuses to each episode and extra content from me. And I just got done recording a special Ask Me Anything about self-care for mental health, where I got to answer some questions from the supporters on things like how to cope with seasonal affective disorder, what to do when anxiety hits you in a public place, and how to deal with guilt around creating a meaningful self-care practice. So that's been really cool to be able to provide that, and it's turning into a really wonderful and intimate community. And I love connecting with listeners, and the supporters get extra support from me. So yeah, you can head over to patreon.com slash simple self-care to join and get the free resource from Sarah. You can hear my exclusive ask me anything and there's more on there from episodes from the past and there will be more in the future. Okay. Okay, cool. Now on to the conversation with Sarah. Take a listen as we chat about how to create a positive relationship with money how to live a rich and full life no matter how much or how little you make, how to create your own prescription for self-care. And we also talk about our favorite self-care activities for this time of year. Spoiler alert, it includes the Great British Baking Show (laughs) and more fun things like that. We also talk about how to set intentions and boundaries for the holidays with your family and friends. This is huge, and she's got some really awesome insights on that. We chat about the joy and beauty of traveling to small towns, and she shares her favorite travel tips and resources for creating those small town adventures. And then she shares about how to be okay with doing things differently, and I love her attitude on this. So I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. So here it is. Pretty much everything that I have created my courses, the coaching that I do, um, the stuff that I write, it's, it's a combination of, I would say it's like a three-part cocktail of lessons learned the hard way, things that I learned. I have a master's degree in applied linguistics. And so I know a lot about like neural pathways and like self-narrative and brain plasticity. Um, and so I bring a lot of that, um, to my teaching, particularly about habits and goals and self-narrative around money. So that's another part of it. And then also the third part of it is me, I myself have used these methods to accomplish things in my life. And then people around me say, oh my God, how did you do that? And then when I'm like, oh, well, I just X, Y, Z. And they're like, oh, that's not nearly as simple as you think it is. (laughs) Um, And so hearing from my readers, from friends in my real life, from family members, like, oh, what you're doing is maybe unusual or harder than you think. And, you know, other people maybe would benefit from having this stuff broken down into really actionable, practical, like step-by-step stuff. So I would say it's sort of a three-part cocktail of like academic learning, like trial, personal trial and error and mistakes. And then people in my life saying like, oh my gosh, I, I wish I could do what you have done. How, how did you do it? Will you show me? Do you think it's your educational background that has made it easier for you? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I was a classroom teacher for years and 
one of the things that I sometimes take issue with when I myself take online courses, like, you know, we don't, we don't all have classroom experience. We don't all have, you know, advanced degrees in pet that include pedagogical theory. And that's totally fine. Um, but I, I use all the stuff that I learned from years of being a classroom teacher to create online courses that are really helpful that create, you know, scaffolding, which, which is a classroom term, which is basically like, we, we take what you already know and we add like one brick to it. And we make sure that there's a lot of support around what you're learning. And we, I make for sure that all of my classes, um, there is a live component where you can talk to me. There's a discussion component where you can talk to other people going through it. There is a reading component. You can listen to the exact same content in audio form. There are slides so you can listen to me talking about it while you're reading it because people have really different learning styles. And that's something that I learned from being a teacher and from taking advanced classes about how to be a teacher. And again, not everybody has that training, but I think it would be really helpful <laughs> um, if they did, because, you know, a lot of, I mean, we've all been, we've all bought online courses that we didn't finish. We've all bought online courses that were not perhaps put together in a way that really like facilitated true learning. Um, so I think that my, my educational background definitely, definitely helps. Um, and I wish that when people are designing online courses, especially ones that cost hundreds and hundreds or thousands of dollars, um, I really wish that they would put some preliminary effort <laughs> into figuring out how they can teach things in a way that people can learn them. Yeah. With your background as a teacher, is, it, is that where your application of these principles kind of started because I I think I remember you talking about even with your relationship of money like how you were able to save and have a quality of life and people were like yeah but you're just a teacher how are you able to to do yes. that yeah I had always been like pretty good with money um and like many people I graduated from um college and graduate school with a total of $50,000 for the school debt. Um, and I was working as an ESL teacher in a nonprofit. I was making $16 an hour um, with a master's degree when I worked, when I started Yes and Yes. But I was able to, you know, I lived by myself. I didn't have a roommate. I didn't get any financial support from a partner or my parents. I lived in a cute apartment in a nice neighborhood. I bought my car with cash. Um, I wore clothes that I felt were cute. <laughs> um, and what sort of drove home to me that I was, and, and I was just doing things that came naturally to me that made sense to me. And what drove home to me that this was unusual was I heard through the grapevine that a friend of a friend believed that I had a trust fund because they didn't think that there was any way that I could be doing this stuff without having family support and friends. My parents are public school teachers in rural Minnesota in a low income school district. So there is no trust fund. <laughs> um, but so just hearing that, and I wasn't particularly offended. I was honestly kind of like, wow, well, I must be like doing something right. If like somebody thinks that I have a trust fund, if I have like created a life that looks like it needs a trust fund when I'm making 34 grand and paying off all this school debt. So that was sort of the moment that made me think like, maybe I am really doing something or maybe I do have a approach to this that's unusual if this is how people are like reacting to my life choices, that they think they're so unbelievable that they think that I have a trust fund. Yeah. I, why do you think that's unusual in our world today? I don't know. Well, I think that, well, most of us, you know, we grow up in families where we don't talk about money. We don't see examples of people 
if you're not lucky enough to grow up in a family where your parents either talk about money or model good financial choices, it is virtually impossible to develop good money habits. Just, just like anything. Like if you grow up in a family who never ever moves their body and drinks soda with every meal and eats junk food all the time, like where would you come up with the idea that it would be a good idea to go for a walk and eat vegetables? Or, you know, like if you grow up in a family where you watch TV with it at, at every meal time and then also watch TV for four hours after the meal, like where would you come up with the idea that you shouldn't do that? Like we're all products of our environment and they don't really teach money management in school. Like they might teach how to balance a checkbook or something like that, but that's the extent of it. Even in college, like we all go tens of thousands of dollars into debt for these college degrees and I'm sure somewhere there's a college that teaches you the basics of money management, but it certainly wasn't in either of the colleges that I went to and they were good schools and they, that was not part of the curriculum. So I think it's really easy to screw up money and then nobody will talk about it. And so it's very easy to screw up money um, and then keep it a secret because you assume that you're the only person who has, who has screwed it up when in fact the average American has $6,000 worth of credit card debt. And that's yeah. just credit card debt. That's not school debt. That's not mortgage. That's not healthcare debt. Yeah. I remember recently going to a banker to help with some of my business financials. And I was so ashamed to go to the banker and share the debt I had gotten into and all of this stuff. And he, he just, kind of, he didn't laugh at me, but he was just like, Oh honey, you're you're okay. Like this is and then, nothing. Yeah. And then I was like, I felt better and worse. <laughs> yes, yeah. If this is nothing, then what is this saying for other people? Like I saw a statistic that, oh God, something like 40% of middle class Americans could not navigate a four hundred dollar unexpected bill. Mm. That's and that's middle class Americans, like you know, people who are not in the middle class, I imagine it would be. 90 to 100 percent of those people couldn't navigate um, an unexpected expense of 400 dollars so your parents taught you and that's how that's like the culture you lived in or was it more just a common sense thing for you it was uh like my parents very occasionally talked to me about money but mostly they just modeled good behavior so they were both public school teachers um which i think i think that they like maybe topped out at like 50 grand each. Um, but I will also say like we lived in um, a, a very low income area. So that was a lot of money um, for the area that I grew up in. Um, but even with that, like most public school teachers that, that I knew that had summer jobs, they had second jobs, they coached, they did other stuff to bring in extra money on top of their salary. But my parents never did that. Um, and a lot of that is just because of the choices that they made. So pretty much all of the meat I've been vegetarian since I was 12, but my parents and my sister eat meat. Pretty much all of the meat that they eat is literally from animals that my dad has killed. Um, he's a very serious uh, outdoorsman, so he hunts deer, he fishes. So like they don't, they very rarely buy meat. Um, most of the vegetables they they eat are from the garden. Um, they have heat my entire life. My parents have heated the house with um wood that with wood that my dad has cut down they bought um some very cheap for like marshy forest land 
And then my dad goes down and like cuts up all the felled trees and hauls it back to our house. And if you know anything about the upper Midwest, like heating bills are no joke. And so the fact that they have never paid a heating bill has saved them truly probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. We very rarely went out to eat when we would, um, we traveled every summer, but we would camp. Um, so, you know, we didn't pay for, we didn't pay for hotels. And I remember going to Disneyland. And of course, if you ever go to amusement parks, you know, the food is so expensive inside amusement parks and we all wore fanny packs and we all have like an apple and a granola bar. And like, you know, we had like a, a little bag of peanuts. Like we had this stuff with us. So we, so my parents wouldn't have to spend like $60 on food inside Disneyland. Um, and it was just stuff like that. And they, they were never like, we're doing this to save money. It was only when I became older that I was like, oh, like my parents never had second jobs and most of the other teachers I knew did. And like, we traveled every summer and most of the teachers that I knew worked every summer. And like, we lived in a house on the lake and other people didn't. And the reason that those things were available to us is because of the choices that they made. So I was very fortunate to sort of learn by osmosis. Yeah. And the thing I get from that and also from you is that you're okay with doing things differently and not yes. giving in to the norm and the Joneses, you know, things oh, yeah, like for that. Sure. Like there are so many ways to get to where you want to go. And just because everybody else is taking route A does not mean that you have to take it. Like I, one of my biggest joys in life is, I think the actual term for it is like class passing, but like, it makes me feel so smug when somebody like overestimates my tax bracket, like up <laughs> because, because like, I am not kidding you guys. Like I buy everything secondhand for environmental reasons, but also because like, why pay for, why pay more than you have to? And I was just um, on a trip where I was in a bunch of fancy places and I had my, you know, fossil handbag that should have cost hundreds of dollars and I got it for $7 at Goodwill. And I was just like up there with the mucky mucks, like rubbing elbows with people who make exponentially more than me. But I totally like, they didn't know that. Like they thought that I was, you know, they're, they're earning equal. Um, and it, like, I was like, I totally felt like I was pulling something off. Like I, 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 I look like you guys, I, my life looks like your life on Instagram. I'm wearing the same clothes as you. You don't know that I got all this at Goodwill. You don't know, you know, that, that all the books I read are from the library. Like it brings me a lot of joy to have put together a life that is totally in alignment with my happiness with and having done it in a way that works for me and that works for my values and the life that I want for myself. That's really powerful because it's it's so about your perspective and what you're choosing because there could be a, another person in that same scenario that said oh my gosh, if they only knew I got this at second hand, like they'd be, they wouldn't want to talk to me. Like they're ashamed. And they're like, oh no, they're, I'm like, they're trying y'all to are hide suckers. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it, it's, it's such a, we forget how much of a choice it is and how you can be in the same scenario and either choose to be ashamed or choose to be like totally proud of yourself, you know? Yeah. And it's, yes. And it's, 
I don't know. I love, well, that's one thing I, I really admire about you is just your ability to take that road and really just not care. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is like, I would also say that with all of this, for me personally, it's kind of a litmus test. Like mm-hmm. if I said to you, so we have the same, let's say we have the same fossil purse. You bought it for $250. I got it for $7. And you like tried to shame me about it. I would be like, I have dramatically reduced my carbon footprint and saved $243. And so my internal monologue is if you, if you try to shame me for that, that's on you. Like how embarrassing that you're proud of like, putting, you know, like consuming something that was bad for the planet and spending money that you didn't have to spend. Like how awkward for you that that makes you proud. Okay. Like it's like, there are plenty of things that you can shame me about that. I'll be like, oh yeah, you're right. That is embarrassing. But like, (laughs) this is not one of them. Yeah. And I think that that's a really great principle when it comes to, you know, bringing it back to self-care and self-healing is it's all about that relationship you have with yourself and you know why you're doing the things that you're doing and you can move forward in an empowered way instead of like, am I doing this right? Is this what I should be doing right now? Like you've Mm -hmm. taken the time to really set your values, why you spend what you spend when you spend it and Mm -hmm. to feel confident in, in any situation. And I think that lack of confidence and self-knowing is what marketers yeah cling to and and get and bring us in <laughs> yeah oh for sure or yeah. you know I actually um so you will you've taken we've worked together and you've taken mm-hmm. some of my courses and and pretty much all of my courses start with like the assumption that you know what makes you happy because I'm always talking about like align your spending with your happiness your happiness align your goals with your happiness align your habits with your happiness but what I was finding is that a lot of people I thought that I thought I was starting at step one, but what I found is that many, many people didn't actually know what made them happy because I know it makes me happy. So then of course I assume that everybody else knows. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I, I actually put together a free workbook called how to figure out what makes you happy. And I thought like, I'll just throw this together. You know, maybe, I don't know if people will want it or not because it seems so basic. It is the most singular is the the most popular free thing that I have ever put together. And when I posted it in um, our, I think you're in the money and happy. It's a free private Facebook group that I have. Mm -hmm. And I posted it in there and there was um, a woman who wrote, I don't know if this is too real or awkward to say, but this has literally saved me two to three therapy sessions. Wow. And because I, I just assumed that everybody knew what made them happy, but you can't align your spending with your happiness. That's, that's why we all buy things that we don't need. And then we buy them and we're like, Oh, I thought this would make a difference. And it didn't, Mm -hmm. or we pursue goals that are not right for us. Or, you know, like we decide that we need to start going to CrossFit because we think that, you know, having a six pack will make us happy. Um, you know, and maybe moving and, you know, moving your body and being in touch with your body is never a bad idea, but maybe CrossFit is not the way, or maybe, you know, maybe it's Zumba or maybe it's going for walks every morning, but if you can figure out what makes you happy, everything else gets easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so much power in coming back to the basics, and I, I found that with the the coaching and teaching that I do too. I went in, I was brought into a bank to teach them about self care habits at their desk. Oh wow, and that was fun. And I started 
teaching, like, I think they thought I was just going to teach them some yoga stuff, but I started talking about inner wisdom and tuning into that from moment to moment. And I got these like blank stares. Like, <laughs> what do you mean inner wisdom? We're bankers. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Let me back up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And the, it, but the, it's like, they're normal for us. Cause we, I think we talk about them all the yes. time and they're how yes. we've been able to know what we're teaching about but there is this there's such a it's so vital before you go on any change or you know alignment that you do the work of this these super foundational principles Mm -hmm. and that they're really your roadmap for anything that you're going to do if you don't know what makes you happy if you don't know what your inner wise self sounds like to guide you like that Mm -hmm. that's the starting point and that's not very fun a lot of the time and Mm -hmm. it's really can be really nitty-gritty and it can bring up your shit you know yeah (laughs) oh for sure and so we gloss over that or we look at someone else and think like we don't realize that they had to do that work also you know absolutely and I think also like as we get older and as we have more responsibilities at our job and if you have kids or if your parents are aging, if you're a business person, like it's so, so easy to get caught up in what should make you happy, what happiness should look like, you know, like, I don't want to do this if I can't do it professionally. I don't want to do this if it doesn't look good on Instagram, you know, like, I don't want to like embarrass my kids. What would my neighbors say? What would my coworkers say? Like, oh, I've, you know, like now that I'm a CEO, like people can't see me doing X, Y, Z. Like it's so, so easy to get up in your head because the older we get, the more baggage we all have, Mm -hmm. the more responsibility we all have, the deeper we get invested in identities about who we quote unquote are. And I think that a lot of times it can actually get, get harder in your thirties and forties to figure out what makes you happy, which is why it's, that much more important to figure it out because those are also the years where you're getting really serious about your career, you're buying a house, you're raising kids. And those are not things that you want to be doing kind of in the wrong direction. Like you don't want to be modeling unhealthy behavior for your kids. You don't want to pursue um, a career for 15 years that isn't right for you. You don't want to be in a marriage that's not right for you. You don't want to, you know, if you're convinced that happiness looks like a loft in the North Loop of Minneapolis and then you buy it and you're like, actually, I totally want like a farmhouse in Hastings. Like that's a pretty expensive and stressful realization to have. So it's really important to put in the time now to figure that out and save yourself time, money, and energy later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also be, be gentle mm-hmm. with yourself when you do make those expensive yeah. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've all done them. We've all made those mistakes. People make them all the time. Nobody talks about the mistakes that they've mm-hmm. made. And also I think that I encounter with um, a lot of coaching clients that they get down on themselves for not knowing what makes them happy, but like, you can't be it if you can't see it. And like, if everybody around you likes, like, I have a lot of friends who love riding their bikes and drinking beer. And it took me a surprising amount of time that to realize like, I don't like either of those things. Like I hate beer and the only, I want to ride my bike on a trail, but I super don't want to like ride my bike on city streets from brewery to brewery. And it took me a long time to figure that out because that's what everybody else around me liked. Um, and I also a few years ago realized that I really love tiny stuff. Like I love 
miniatures. I love, like, I love tiny things, but like, where would I figure that out? How would I figure that out? Because like, I don't know anybody who likes tiny stuff. That's not like <laughs> a thing that you like see, you know, there's not, you know, women who are on Instagram being like, look at my tiny thing that I love. So don't be hard on yourself. If you have inadvertently found yourself spending lots of time, money and energy on stuff that actually isn't right for you, or that it's weirdly hard to figure out what actually makes you happy. Because if it hasn't been in front of your face and other people haven't been modeling that behavior, it can feel like looking for a needle in a haystack. It's partly what I love about the internet is because <laughs> you can always yeah. find your people yeah, somewhere. Yeah, once you figure it out, whatever <laughs> random thing it is, once you figure it out, there is a forum for it. There are Instagram mm -hmm. accounts, but you have to do the work to figure it out. Yeah. So how did you find it for yourself? Like, what was that progression like? Um, well, first, I just honestly started noticing when I was really happy and very specific about it. Not just like I'm at a movie, but like I am at a movie at the Riverview, which is this beautiful historic theater that is like art deco. So I'm at I'm at a th I'm at a movie and it's a matinee. So it's during the day. So I'm doing it when other people can't, which feels very like I'm getting away with something. And it's a beautiful surrounding. So like. It's not just about like, I don't want to like drive out to the suburbs and pay $15 to go to man cinema, you know, and sit in a theater with a tiny screen. That is not joyful to me, but being able to walk to a movie theater that's locally owned, that's beautiful. And I can pay $2 for a matinee on a Tuesday. That makes me happy. And so I, I literally have a notes doc in my phone of all the incredibly specific things that, things that make me happy. Because once you can figure that out, you can replicate it. So I have discovered that doing things at a time of day, week, or year when they are, when like sort of people working nine to fives can't do them, that makes me really happy. So like going out to eat on a weekday, like during the day, um, going to matinees, um, traveling during the shoulder season, um, traveling during the off season, flying on a weekday, all of those things, or even like sitting in a hot tub in the winter, like doing things outside of sort of the normal periphery and feeling like I've scammed the system that I've gotten away with something that is truly one. And this goes back to also like dressing, like I make more money than I do because it feels like I'm, I'm pulling something off. Mm -hmm. It all, it all comes back to the same feeling of like, I have been clever enough to work around the system. So that's one of the things that makes me really happy. And, and as these things happen, as I'm really happy, I literally just keep a note of it in my phone. And now, I mean, the people listening to this podcast don't have their cameras on, but Randy, you can see this. I literally have the list of things that make me happy taped next to my desk so that when I'm feeling blue, I can look at this and see looking my cutest, cooking and eating dinner with Kenny, getting, getting a good deal on anything, getting rid of things I don't need, finishing an aging project. So anytime I need a boost, I can literally just look at this list and do something that's on this list. Wow. That's awesome. That's like, uh, I love it because it's so simple that people mm -hmm. would never think to do that, that that would be so valuable, but <sighs> yes, this like my like happy, this is making me happy. <laughs> <laughs> but what well, makes me the happiest is when you can find something so simple that it almost doesn't reach your radar, but yet it's one of the most profound things that you can do to improve your happiness. And it's yeah. so easy to, to you, 
we get too busy to mm-hmm. even just write down or even notice what makes us mm-hmm. happy. And we're so busy yeah. thinking about what's next and that other thing that yeah. in my yoga classes, when people are in Shavasana at the end, I take a moment to be like, hey, notice that you're resting and you have this moment of stillness that is so rare in the world right now. Because most people in Shavasana are thinking, okay, I'm breathing, I'm laying here, but I I hope yeah. class ends on time because blah, 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 blah. And this is such a, a powerful example of just taking a moment, yeah, getting yes. to know yourself mm-hmm. and, and then I, using it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us, like the, I, because I, so I run these classes on habits and goals and money and I do one-on-one coaching. And so, and I've been doing it for long enough that I, I know exactly the excuses that people are going to make. I know <laughs> yeah. exactly like, I'm going to tell you to do this. You're going to tell me you don't want to, and I'm going to tell you to do it anyway. So I like, I know exactly how it works. Um, and one of the things I hear a lot is like, I don't have time to do that self-work. I don't have time to like figure out what makes me happy. I don't have time to like examine my narratives around money. Like instead of thinking about why I'm, you know, spending, I'll download that app that steals all my data, but rounds up all my um, purchases to the next dollar and then puts it in a separate account, which can be very helpful, but that, that's not going to help you if you're still buying shit you don't need. But mm-hmm. so the, the metaphor that I have heard that I think is so apt is like doing that deeper self-work. When, when you say that you don't have time for it, it's like you're riding a bike to get wherever you want to go. Like, yeah, you're getting there, but you're on a bike. But when you do the self-work, it's like getting off the bike, stopping pedaling, getting off the bike, getting into a car, plugging, you know, your destination into the GPS and then driving away. And like, yeah, there's going to be like a period of time where like, sure, you sort of, you sort of shade, stayed on the bike, but like in that time when you're stopping the bike, you're getting into the car and you're plugging in the GPS. As soon as you do that, you're going to overtake where you would have been if you wouldn't have like taken the time to stop and, and change your approach. Mm-hmm. Yes, a hundred percent agree. And I find that too, is people think that it's taking up so much time, but really the opposite is taking up your time. Yeah. Like all the BS that we all tell ourselves that that is what is like, because I have taken the time to figure out what makes me happy. That means, and I'm not perfect. I still, you know, I will still have my occasional mindless Netflix, mindless Instagram, mindless eating moment when I said I could have like looked at this list and did something else. <laughs> but just having taken the time to do that and knowing that you have an entire arsenal of ways that healthier, more happy making ways that you can navigate a tough situation rather than driving directly to Target, rather than, you know, doing the thing where you watch Netflix, but you're also on your phone, rather than, you know, bitching to your best friend for three and a half hours and talking trash about everyone, you know, rather than eating three bags of pizza rolls. If you have, if you put in the time and do the self work and examine your life and examine what makes you happy, if you put in that time and create these lists and know yourself, you're so much less likely to engage in that numbing behavior because you have self care and you know exactly what you need to do to make yourself feel better. It's like a prescription. Yes. It's the most powerful prescription mm-hmm. and, and, and only you will ha- know the answers. Yes. Yeah. You can't, it's, it should be nice if you could turn to somebody else and be like, give me a list of things I can do that 
can make me feel better. And I can tell you like here, you know, generally speaking, people feel better when they go outside in nature without their phones. Generally speaking, people feel better after they take a shower and take a nap. But there are going to be a lot of things on your list that I don't know about. And maybe you don't even know about until you really start digging into it. Yeah. I'm just smiling over here, excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Switching gears. Mm -hmm. By the time this airs, it's going to be around the holiday time. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice or resources, thoughts on moving into the holidays with our spending, with family obligations? Like this tends to be a season where we shut down our inner wisdom. We eat what we want. We do Mm -hmm. what our family wants. We buy these gifts because we think we have to impress X, Y, Z, or, you know, there's lots of tradition. Is there a way to kind of set ourselves up to stick to our values and stay aligned with ourselves moving into this season? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say, and by the time people are listening to this, it, it might be quote unquote too late for this year. Um, because I think in general in life, the best time to address a concern is not in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. The best time to like deal with something is when everybody's in a good mood and it seems really far away. Um, That being said, if you're listening to this in like early November, send out an email, a diplomatic, but you know, fairly direct email saying this year, you know, we're going gift free or this year, you know, we would really like to limit our spending to $20 per person. This year, we would really like to give consumable gifts. And I think what's important in all things in life is to remember, like, you cannot control anybody else's behavior. You can only control your own. And so, like, if you want to give consumable gifts, if you want to give jars of jam or flavored olive oils or flavored vodka, you can and should do that. But you cannot force anybody to also only give you consumable goods. You cannot force anybody to not feel sulky about that. So you need to be, you need to really make a choice that you can stick with and that you feel proud of because there will probably be pushback. Um, And when that inevitably comes, you need to be okay with it and say like, yeah, we're sticking with it anyway. So think about what is it that you're trying to, what is, what is your goal for this holiday season? Do you want to spend less money? Do you want to reduce the carbon footprint of all the gifts that you're giving? Do you want to... Um, have more experiences and less stuff? Do you want to not go to a million Christmas parties? You know, what is before the holiday, before you're in the depths of the holidays, figure out what you want out of this. What didn't work last year and what can you change? And then as diplomatically and lovingly as possible, tell the people in your life about this change that you're going to make and be aware that there will probably be some pushback. Um, But also like your holidays are up to you. Like you are in charge of how many holiday parties you go to. You are in charge of how much puppy chow you eat. You are in charge of how much you spend on gifts. And I would also say that if if you are spending less for a really specific reason um, and you feel comfortable, it is totally okay to share that reason. Like we're spending less on gifts because we're trying to get pregnant. We're spending less on gifts because you know, I'm changing careers to something that's lower paid. We're spending less on gifts because we're saving up for a house. When people understand why you're doing it and you're not doing it at them, 
You're not like vindictively underspending on their Christmas present. They're so much more likely to be understanding. And I would say, again, going back to how much credit card debt the average U.S. citizen has, you, you, people, it is also possible that people might appreciate this more than you would think. They might be like, oh, thank God, because I can also now spend $20 on each person. I've always, I've always felt like I was overspending. I didn't want to be the person to say it, but now Randy has like broken the seal and I'm going to join on. So that's what I would say. Before you say anything, get really clear on what you want and then find a way to talk about it um, in a way that people can hear. Yes. Two things. One, puppy chow. <laughs> yes. Also, if, if you're listening, if you're not, it's not literally <laughs> puppy chow. It's crisp yeah. with peanut butter, chocolate, and powdered sugar. But other, when I moved to Utah, people call it a muddy buddies. Oh, I've heard a few people call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, clarifying, just putting that out there. Yeah. <laughs> We're not eating dog food. No. <laughs> um, second of all, yes, I have found that being the person that gives the permission to do things differently is like everyone gets to take a deep breath. Yes. A lot yeah. of times that's what it feels like. And if it doesn't happen right away, most of the time it will happen eventually. And I like what you mm -hmm. said about reflecting on what didn't work last year and moving that into this year. Mm -hmm. That's what you're going to do next year. You know, yeah. like each mm -hmm. season, no matter if it's the holidays or the summer or whatever, is an opportunity to be like, it, each season you get to refine and refine and refine and mm -hmm. make it what you want out of that season of yeah. life. And so sure. it's all an experiment, you know, and however you choose to communicate with your family and your friends, um, what, what worked about that, what didn't work. And, mm -hmm. and also the people that love you will come around to how you want to do things too. Yeah. yeah. So. And also the thing that I always think about is like when you are living a life and making choices that are right for you, you will inevitably pay, pay what I call the authenticity tax, which is when you're the one who's like, yeah, we're not giving gifts this year. Or like, yeah, we're actually taking the kids to Cuba for Christmas. Or like, yeah, like, no, I don't want to go to my brother's house because he's a mean alcoholic. Like when you are the one, when you make choices that are right for you, there will be pushback. And that means that you're paying the authenticity tax. You're paying for making choices that are right for you. But paying that authenticity tax is a million times cheaper than doing things that make you miserable and having unhealthy relationships and getting yourself into debt. Like it is so much better and healthier and cheaper financially, emotionally, psychologically to like, you know, have a few people be vaguely annoyed or like lightly judge you than it is to like, live a life full of misery and obligation. <laughs> yes. I love the term zoom out mm -hmm. because it just kind of, you could just get out of the heat of the moment, get out of that hard conversation and yeah. actually see what the cost actually is and mm -hmm. how it will be better down the road. You know, mm -hmm. all of these things we can make a clearer judgment or at least get through that hard conversation a lot easier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like you have to have the hard conversation now. So things can be easier later. One thing I have loved about your Instagram lately is 
your joy of traveling to these quirky little towns. Yes. Yes. And so as people, I mean, this is great year round, but even for things to do as a family or with friends for the holidays that aren't going to be extravagant or whatever, can you share more about your your latest small town nerd out and tips for travel? Yes. yes. So I really love, um, I really love small town travel. I'm from a small town and I love traveling to small towns because your tourism dollar goes much, much further. Um, The people are very excited that you're there as opposed to being like, oh my God, these tourists in the middle of the sidewalk in New York walk faster. Um, And it's also like America is a, is a huge, the U S I should say is a huge country um, but many of the big cities, and I include Minneapolis where I live in this, many of the big cities kind of feel pretty similar, you know, like how different are Denver and Minneapolis and Portland really? Like, you know, they're not, the people look and sound very similar to each other, but where you really get the differences, which I love and I think are so exciting are when you get to those towns that are like 8,000, 20,000, 40,000. So when you're in a town of 40,000 in Alabama, that town is very different than a town of 40,000 in Northern California or in Maine or in, or in Minnesota. Um, so I love going to these small cities because you really see the differences in the U.S. Um, your dollar goes so much further. And they're also just much more accessible. Like flying is expensive, especially if you have a family. It's terrible for the environment. If you don't have TSA pre-check, which is expensive, like you're going to wait in line forever. I mean, there, there are so many reasons why driving is better and cheaper and more accessible to people. And these small cities are also better and cheaper and more accessible. And they're also going to give you, to me at least, they give me sort of more bang for my travel buck um, than a lot of big cities. I mean, I love Denver. I love Portland. They're great but they don't quite give me the same feeling as like having breakfast at a diner in Mississippi. It's a totally different, it's apples and oranges. For sure. Yeah. My husband and I just picked up a car in Seattle and drove from Seattle to Fargo. And mm-hmm. we had a night in Seattle, which was, which was fun, mm-hmm. but the most cherished moments from the trip is where we had to stop off in these random little towns or tried this quirky restaurant or, mm-hmm. you know, we just kind of, did it really randomly without planning mm-hmm. and found ourselves in these quirky towns of of America that we mm-hmm. you know and it I find that some of my favorite memories um are when I'm in the lesser known areas yeah and you find oh, yourself absolutely. talking to some guy at this little bar mm-hmm. that ends up being related to one of your ancestors or like I've had that happen you know yes absolutely (laughs) because also like people are so much friendlier in small cities because they're not jaded by having 17 million tourists trip through their city all day every day yeah I love it I think that's what I love about the Midwest too like growing up in the Midwest I I didn't like that (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. I was just like oh take me to a big city take me to these bigger better things Mm -hmm. and now I I'm in a big city and I like it for maybe a day. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, get me back, <laughs> get me back to the quirky, mm-hmm. funny little things about, yeah. you know, I don't know. Every life is a real life, but you know yes. what I mean? Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. the things that to me just matter. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
do you have any tips on on people finding these little treasures? Yes. So I would say so I do a lot of work with a website called Livability, um, which is a website that encourages people to move to and travel to small to mid-sized towns. Um, and every year they come out with a new list of top 100 um, small to mid-sized towns. And I mean, there are a lot of repeats, but it's also, you know, like things change, economies change, like all of a sudden, like some big tech company moves to this town and now it's really livable. Um, so I love to use their lists to figure out like destinations because a lot of these are cities that I have literally never heard of before. Like, oh God, I think it's called Connell, Connell, Alabama is supposed to be great. I went to a place called Paducah, Kentucky, which like, have you ever heard a less promising name? <laughs> it is so stinking cute. Like uh, it was adorable. I would have stayed there for a week. I was recently in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I came back and I told Kenny, like I would legit retire there. And so livability is a great place for read through their lists, their top 100 lists, their top 10 lists. And they have a lot of lists that are like, you know, these are the top 10 cities, small to mid-sized cities for like beer lovers. These are the best cities for like people who like minor league baseball. So they have a lot of very specific stuff. So I like using them for destinations. Um, and then in terms of like finding stuff along my routes, I love a website called Road Trippers, which is sort of like if you took like TripAdvisor, Atlas Obscura and Google Maps and like mushed them together. So you say like, I'm going from Seattle to Fargo and I want to know where all of the like independent diners are along my route. Or I want to know where all the museums or all the state parks. And it will just like auto-populate the map with these things. We just um, did that with Road Tripper. And oh, we it's did so it, good. And we did it for... Um, hikes. Yes. And it's so great. It is just great hikes. That it way. is absolutely invaluable. I, I love road trippers. They're great. And I actually, so I've been using road trippers, um, for years and they recently relatively recently changed their business model. to like from being like completely free. And if you want like the, the good version, it's like 20 bucks a year. And I was, and I think anybody who uses the internet has had this experience. And my immediate reaction was like, <laughs> I don't want to pay for this thing that used to be free. And then I went and looked at like my account and I had, I had used road trippers for 40, 40 trips. And I was like, okay, I can, a, obviously I can afford 20 bucks a year. And also like, this is an amazing service. So I think anyone, like I am not above that sort of behavior. Clearly I struggle with it as well. But so this is just sort of a, a loving reminder to all of us. If if you are regularly using a service or consuming someone's content and it's very actively helping your life in the way that road trippers has helped mine for literally years. And then at some point they're like, Hey, can you give me 20 bucks? Like if you can afford it, like give them the 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. People deserve to be paid. Yeah. <laughs> I would be things. devastated if road trippers cease to exist. Mm -hmm. Those are great resources. One thing I love to do is asking guests their favorite self-care practices uh, with the caveat that self-care practices are unique to everybody yeah and you got to do what works best for you but I yes. also like to hear what people do because it can give you ideas or inspiration yeah. so in this time mm -hmm. um fall moving into winter mm -hmm. what 
what do you like to do to nourish your body? Uh, what, what makes your happy list this time of year that maybe doesn't other mm. times of year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, well, I have all year round. I have a, I have a very serious morning routine. that's like written in stone. I literally still do it when I'm on vacation. Um, and that is just like deeply ingrained, but I would say fall specific. I, if it is overcast, I like candles in, you know, Minnesota, it doesn't get dark. It doesn't get light to like 8am in the winter. Mm -hmm. So I like candles, um, in the morning as well. So that's a big self-care thing for me. Um, and I would also say from pretty much like November through March, I do not read, watch, or listen to anything that's depressing. Like seasonal affective disorder is super real. And I don't need any help feeling bad when we get like six hours of light every day. So like all of my like weird, depressing, non-linear Russian novels. No, we're not reading. Those <laughs> so like d when it's dark and when it's winter, it's a lot of like LM Montgomery and you know, like Parks and Rec and The Good mm -hmm. Place and like comedy podcasts. Um, because I don't, especially with um, the news, I, I don't need any help feeling bad. That's so interesting you say that because that is a common conversation. Like I was just talking to a client yesterday and about shows. He's like, well, I'm saving that one for winter or like, oh, yeah. I watched that oh, one in the sure. fall because it yeah. really does it really influence does. you. And there's nothing like being already in a, a dark, you know, couch coma yeah. and then you watch yeah. something super dark. <laughs> yeah. Like the fact that anybody watches a handmaiden's tale is beyond me. Like I've, I've heard it's amazing. I've heard it's so good. I'm 100% not that watching one. that. I am yeah. watching the good place. I'm rewatching Gilmore girls. I I'm do reading, Gilmore girls. Yep. Yeah. I'm reading James Harriet, like just very wholesome uplift. I would, I mean, I, I'm not reading Chicken Soup for the Soul, but I'm like practically reading Chicken Soup for the Soul. <laughs> That's one of your gauges. Is it? Yeah. Quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um I like the Great British Baking Show in the winter. Everybody says it's so good. I've never, mm -hmm. I mean, I watched like one and I was like, oh, I don't, there's bacon. I don't get it. But maybe I need to give it another try. <laughs> you got to give it another try where you really get to know the judges and the hosts mm -hmm. and, but don't get too attached because they change eventually. Oh, okay. Okay. But, um, but once you get the essence of it and like the music starts and you see the, they do these zoom ins of plants and the, <laughs> and like lambs and like springtime Cute. animals. And then you go into this tent and everyone's supportive and oh, giving okay. positive feedback. Me. Yeah. And then like, yeah. okay. You've convinced it's me. And then Mary Berry is like this, you just want her to be your grandma and Aww. eat with her and so it's definitely okay. a good winter show you just give like with most shows you got to give it a few episodes yeah okay um okay. but it's a it's a great world to escape to in the winter time especially okay so. that's good to hear <laughs> but yeah those are good ones I appreciate that for sure we do that up in Fargo we're very we're very like okay what shows in what season are going to be productive or like yes. the, the best yes. kind of thing yeah so very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and share your wisdom. And my pleasure. And I'll put all the links to the things we talked about in the show notes and um, how people can find you. Uh, Yesandyes.org. Yeah. Yep. And yes and yes on Instagram. Basically, yes and yes everywhere. Yeah. Just Google yes and yes and you'll find me. Okay. 
I love it. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you. So many good nuggets of wisdom in this one. Definitely worth going back and re-listening. I've listened to it a couple of times for editing's sake, but I also learn something new every time I listen. So add it to your favorites or whatever it is that you do. But better yet, you can follow her on her blog at yesandyes.org and on Instagram. She's awesome on Instagram. She really crams in the value to everything she does, and it's all just so worth it. And I do need to take a moment to brag again about her upcoming course, Bank Boost. I've done a lot of healing around money. (laughs) I've read so many books and I've talked it out with professionals and I've done all sorts of budgets. And what I love about Bank Boost is that you get to be in community with really supportive people that are on the journey with you and you get guidance from Sarah on how to make the most out of the money you already have. You get creative insights on how to bring in more money or how to change your habits so you end up having more money in your bank account. It's really just so practical and no nonsense and you get instant results. I am very picky about what I promote and what I become an affiliate for, but this one is worth it. (laughs) This is worth screaming from the rooftops about this program. Okay, that's being dramatic, but it's good. So click the link in my show notes or in the summary of this episode, wherever you're listening and check it out, get on the mailing list if it's not quite open yet, but it releases on Thursday, November 7th. All right. Aside from that, I did want to highlight something from our conversation to keep in mind as we move into the holidays. And that is to follow the joy. I love her happiness list that she refers to and she keeps on her notes in her phone. It's just so easy to forget the tools and activities that we have to help us and bring us joy. So take a moment and do that. Just Or as you're doing things, add them to your list. Because when you're having a bad day, it can be so hard to pull yourself out of it. But if you have some really simple go-to things that you can remind yourself of, it really, really helps. The other thing I love that she said, and this is hard to hear, but we are in control of our holidays. We get to stand up for ourselves and our needs, and we get to learn and refine our holiday season each year. Now, there definitely are things out of our control. There are relationships that will take a while to heal. And there are just some uncomfortable situations that can come from holiday gatherings, but there's so much in your control. There are boundaries you can learn how to set. There are conversations you can have to ease that and change things over time. When I hear about all the stress and guilt and angst that can come with this time of year, it just makes me really sad because a lot of it can be tended to if we fuel ourselves first. So with it being the beginning of November, this is the perfect time to start making the decisions you need to as we head into it. Preventative measures. Yes. Okay. So that's it for this week. 
And like always, I love hearing from you. So please reach out on Instagram. You can follow me at naturallyrandyk. And please post your takeaways and tag Sarah and I so we can see it and share it. You can join in the Patreon community. You can subscribe to the weekly newsletter at my website. That's naturallyrandyk.com slash newsletter. It's Randy with an I, K-A-Y, in case you're wondering. And you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's always a treat, and it helps a lot in helping this podcast get discovered by others. And yeah, I look forward to connecting with you. And have a wonderful rest of your week. And happy November. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Randy Kay, a holistic wellness practitioner and educator. Through my online resources and one-on-one mentoring programs, I teach women holistic ways to tune into their inner wisdom and establish healing seasonal practices so they can know how to heal their own pain and feel healthy and at home from the inside out. And until we meet again, take good care and enjoy the journey.